man welcome to a special episode of uh the bakari sellers podcast today we have uh my brother i actually grew up on him he's not that old but i did grow up watching psych all the time all right absolutely love it uh but dule hill what's going on my brother how are you everything is cool man glad to be here brother how's your family doing man i don't you know i need to start asking people checking in better on these shows how's your family doing everybody good everyone's doing good you know i you know jasmine you know, she's doing wonderful she just had her book which just came out this week the most perfect you which is a lovely children's book uh showing children about self-acceptance and love and also for the parents who read the children or the adults who read the children's to the book, read the book to the children, <laughs> that they are perfect in every way as well. My daughter Kennedy, who is 17, turning 18 in a few months, is off to Northwestern. Oh my play, goodness. You know, volleyball over there. And she's, I'm just so proud of the young woman that she's growing up to be. She's graduating in a, in a month and she is just a shining bright light. And of course- Did she get her car already? Or are you getting her car for this graduation? She, she, she got a car from last year because I think okay. she starts driving from young, 16. <laughs> but I, we got her a car last year. Well, we got to think of something, a good graduation gift, but tell her tell her, her lawyer is still working for her. So I'll, I'll make sure that we get a negotiated right good deal. <laughs> All right now. And then our Levi's doing great. He's three years old and he's just, you know, he's running the house. He's That's crazy. Great, he's, he, speaking of lawyers, he is the great negotiator. <laughs> this cat will talk you down off of anything. He goes, you know, but let's see, Dad. Dad, let's see. Or let's think. Let's think about it, Dad. Dad. Well, no, you can't have a milkshake. Let's think about it, Dad. Dad. Let's think about it. We'll That's, see. My three, my three year old today. She's obsessed with. I'm like, do you want to go to the park? She says, no. Saturday. Do you want to make a juice? No, Saturday. She doesn't know when Saturday is, but she knows she's building out her calendar that, for that's Saturday. The day. That's, that's the day. The... I'm busy the rest of the week, Dad. Saturday <laughs> is my day. <laughs> Look, we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And you've been in the business for some time. Talk us through your first big break in acting. And my at what first... point in your life did you realize that this was something you could actually do for a living and be great at it? There's a, those are two different markers, really. My first big break was at the age of nine going into 10, I ended up booking this show called The Tap Dance Kid. I was going to dance school in East Orange, New Jersey at a dance school called Marie Wildey School of Dance. Uh, the show The Tap Dance Kid came looking for kids who can sing and dance. I auditioned and next thing I know, I was there in the workshop for the show with Savion Glover, our friend Hassan Tatum, now the late Hassan Tatum, and that was the journey of the start of all of our careers. First, Savion went down to be in the show and then I went, uh, Hassan went next to understudy him and then I went to understudy Savion. And then a few months later, I left and did the lead role of, of the Tap Dance Kid on the national tour with Hinton Battle and with Harold Nicholas of the Nicholas Brothers. I did that for about a year and that really was my introduction into show business and this idea of being on stage, playing make-believe and doing something that you love to do. That was the first big break. The next big break, I would say, what well, I mean, there was a, f a few steps along the way. I ended up doing a movie called Sugar Hill, my, my, my senior year of high school, where uh, I played young Romello, who Romello was Wesley Snipes. So, so that, that was me really starting to step into this whole world. And I got a chance to see what it was to be a major actor at a close level just by being around Wesley. And then right on the heels of that, I got uh, in my, my junior year, or really my sophomore into junior year of college, Savion came calling again, looking for 
uh, not calling again, but Savion called me looking for an additional dancer for the show that he was working on called Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk. We got together, and then, I know we did it at the Public Theater, and then we went to Broadway. And at, it was at this crossroads that I really had to start making a decision about what I wanted to do with my life. Because I was really going to Seton Hall University to get a business finance degree. I had intended on going off to be a corporate lawyer. Scheduling was causing a lot of challenge between being in the arts and performing and getting my degree at the time because it's a long story, but this one teacher really wasn't trying to be of help to me. And really in the end, the professor told me, you have to decide, do you want to get, get a degree or do you want to be in show business? I, didn't, I thought that was a wrong answer to tell someone who was trying to do both things, but it did challenge me to ask that question. And it was at that point that I decided that I really wanted to, it was at that point that I realized I could make a career out of this. I think I have the skill enough or the gift, the talent to make some type of career out of this thing, living my life as an artist. So I left Seton Hall and I enrolled in acting class at William Esper Studios in New York while I was doing Bring It Always, Bring the Funk. And I did that for two years. And then from there, that was the, that was the, from there, I really embarked on the journey of being an actor. Let me ask you this question. Do you, and, I, and, and it's funny because I've had a few actors on the show and I, I asked this question and um, they, they all kind of had the same response, but do you appreciate the stage more or do you appreciate the screen more? And most people say the screen, the checks are bigger, but the yes. stage, at least you get some, some, you get the immediate gratification. Gratification. I, my ideal career is to be able to jump around, to be able to do the stage, do some television and do then do film, then go back to the stage. What I love about the stage is you have to do it. There is no filter. You have to do it then, do it now, and nobody cares what you did yesterday. Nobody cares what you're going to do tomorrow. It's right now. Uh, and you have to stay open because anything can happen in live theater. And you have to just go with the flow. Trust There's me, I've seen, I've seen <laughs> clips from that new Jesse Williams stage play my, my wife talking about i'm taking a girl's trip to see jesse's play i was like you don't need like broadway like that i clicked on twitter and i was like oh okay i'm gonna go be like, i love she's like what are you talking about i love broadway i love theater. i love i have love i have passes i have, a year I have pass. you know what I, mean? I remember the of the guild you know what i mean <laughs> uh so how about That's this Indul indulge me a little bit more here what do you have to see in a in a script or role before you take it and are there any scripts that you said no to that you saw blow up later and regretted turning it down? Ooh. For the second question, I don't think that I've, that I've had a bona fide chance to do a script, a role that I said, I passed on that, and then it's blown up. I mean, careers are different, but I'm like, it's not like I said didn't have all of these offers coming my way all the time where I'm just bobbing and weaving offers, <laughs> you know? There are sometimes that I'm interested in pursuing the role and other times that I'm not. So I don't really have a script that I say, oh yeah, now I had a chance to do that. And I said, I said, no, at least not as of yet. Hopefully at some point down the line, we'll circle back and I'll say, you know what, Makari, that role did come to me and I, well, hopefully I'd have the wisdom not to pass it. <laughs> not to pass on it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and what was the first, the first question? The first question is what you got, what do you have to see? What do you have to see? What do you look for I, in something I, that you want to do? You know, I, Oftentimes, I hope that it's, uh, I try to play characters that have intellect in, in whatever they do. You know, I've, I've, obviously, I've, I've played characters in the West Wing. I've 
with Psych, I played a pharmaceutical rep. I also played a gangster in this movie called Slight. But they all were, had intellect. They all were very yeah. smart in how they maneuvered themselves. Uh, I look for I look for that. And then in terms of, obviously, I'm a black man, so I want to make sure that the whole story uh, that the whole story is being told. I don't mind playing a character that has a, a negative disposition as long as there is other aspects that are being shown throughout the story. If I'm the only black dude and I have all of these bad attributes, then you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and play this game with you all. But the main thing that I look forward to is, is intellect. I look forward, I look towards conflict. There's some type of balance, balancing act that the character is trying to navigate because I think that's what we often do in life. Yeah. And then, and then am I telling a story that, is reflective of some part of society mm. or some part of people's lives. Let's talk about Wonder Years. Um, I was a fan of the original show. You know, everybody watched it with their grandmama, whomever it was. Mm. Uh, was there pressure in taking up a show that has such a dedicated fan base and following like the Wonder Years? I think anytime you revisit something, then there is that pressure to not mess it up. And but I also trusted that in the hands of Saladin Patterson, it would be handled with care and handled dynamically. Whether there would be something interesting, a different, an interesting point of view that he would take on it. When I understood that it was being set in Alabama and it was based off of his childhood, and then in the time frame, that's the, you know, the birthplace of the civil rights movement. Yeah. There's there's a lot of story to tell there. And being that out that Saladin is from Alabama and he is he's very connected to that that story, I thought that it could be something very interesting and dynamic to 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 tell. So was there is there pressure? Yes. But I think also it's like as long as you give your all to something and you're really challenge all everyone is challenging themselves to be their best creative selves and do justice to the story, then all will be well. There's always there's always pressure in everything that you do. Anytime you get on stage, there's pressure yeah. to tell the to, to tell a good story. So, and, and look, there's going to be some people that ne would never like a, something that you revisit. Correct. They always say leave well enough alone or whatever. Maybe right. But I think there's also a lot of people that can, especially with this show. Why I was so interested in doing it. I was it was I love the idea of expanding the lens. Oh, that's love, so that was my next question because, like, the big difference that you notice is that the Wonder Years and the original. Uh, was that the primary family in the original Wonder Years was white, right? Mm -hmm. And how much different does a black family coming of age in the 60s in the Deep South make this current iteration of the show? And how have fans of the original Wonder Years responded to this current version that you're starring in? I, th I think a lot of fans, at least from what I've, what I've received, is they were skeptical at first because of mm. their affinity for the original. But when they've given it a chance, they're falling in love with the show. And they're so thankful, like grateful that they that they've gone on the journey and grateful that we are even doing the journey because nostalgia isn't just owned by one particular group of people. Nostalgia can be different for different groups of people, but it still exists. Yeah. And I often say with you, you know, with the African American families or black families in the late 1960s, it wasn't all uh, dogs and water hoses. That, that was a part of what was going on at the time. Correct. There still was moments of love, moments of laughter, moments of BSing, talking trash and, 
having marital conflicts and trying to raise your kids and going to work and trying to build a life for your family. And I think that, uh, you know, I think it's, in, it's important to be able to tell that story, to, to, show, to show the audience that the, the original version is not the only version out there. That's not the only Wonder Years that exists. There's a Wonder Years for Black families. There's a Wonder Years for Latin families. Yeah. There's a Wonder Years for, for Asian families. And, the, and all of these stories are true American stories. All these stories are the Wonder Years for these American families. Hmm. I think there's, there's something powerful in telling that. Like, you know, people have asked the question, why not just do your own thing? Well, that's a whole, that's a whole conversation about, that's a whole conversation <laughs> about taking something that you didn't originate. And, exactly. And expanding, you know what I'm saying? You know exactly. what I'm saying? But I do think that because of the idea of, of the wonder years, there is some, something powerful to it, expanding that lens and showing that their wonder years exist for many different types of people in this country at that time and this time. Tell me about your character, Bill Williams. Who was he in the show and what was it about that character that jumped out at you when you first read about him? Uh, Bill is, Williams is the patriarch of the family. He's the, the father of the Williams family. Uh, I love the idea how this person is uh, passionate about his family and passionate about his craft. He is an artist at heart, a musician, but also he's he wants to be there for his family in every way. So he's made choices to put his, his music on a back burner to provide for his family. He's, a, he's also a professor. He took, a, he took on this job once he, so that he can give some stability to his family. And what I love about playing the character is one, showing the black father being there meant a lot to me. And not being there now in 2020, but showing that we've always been there. The fact that it's set in 1968, and this is a man who loves his wife, loves his children, and is going to, and, and still the coolest cat that I know. And it's a, and it was and being cool doing it. I, I I love the idea of putting that image out there because oftentimes in this day and age we're not shown in that way. But but also Bill Williams is not somebody who is unique. Right? It's like oh yeah. I think when people see the show, they're like, oh no, oh I know I know who that guy is. I know who that guy is because that guy existed. He still exists now, and I, he will exist tomorrow too. But oftentimes we don't put that out there enough, and that's why I just want to. I guess have play my part in putting that image and telling that story to the masses. You know, most people don't know we started this conversation before we before we started this tape conversation. We were having a conversation just about black black fatherhood. So I appreciate that. I mean, carrying that portion of you onto screen is very valuable. This is this is also a period piece set against the story backdrop of Montgomery, Alabama. How much did you research into that area and into Montgomery? to prepare for this role? I did as much research as I could. I mean, thankfully with the digital age, I'm able to you go online. I mean, I Google Montgomery about the time period. Uh, I watched as many documentaries I could to, to really dive into what was really going on at the time. When we were in, I was already in Atlanta when I did the pilot, because my wife was doing a show out there at the time. I went to, tour by Dr. King's house. Mm. See where like some of the things that was happening. Go look at the, uh, right before we started the series, I went to the Civil Rights Museum that's out there just to take my time to 
try to get into the space of what was really going on. And that's, that's, that's mainly what I was doing is just trying to ingest as much information as I could as to what was happening. When we did get a chance to actually film in Alabama, in Montgomery, because it's always a growth process. So wait a minute, were y'all actually in Alabama or did y'all film on like a set in LA that looked we, like Alabama? We, we filmed in Atlanta and then we took a trip to, uh, to Alabama gotcha. to actually shoot on location. And the thing, what I love about television is that it's always a process. You know, when you do it, when you do a play, once you've done the work, you've done all the, your homework, you put the play up, now you're doing it. When you do a film, there's a beginning and an end. So you prep for it. Once you've wrapped the character, that's it. Television, the character is always growing and always evolving. So even though we were already in this series, when we shot in Montgomery, I toured so many of the civil rights places, historical places, I visited as many churches as I, as I could, the ones that were open still and the ones that were not. I went to different homes that I could. I, it never dawned on me, being in Montgomery, that right where Rosa Parks got on the bus is right down the street from where the Greyhound bus station was. It's right across the, right across the circle was the building where the telegram was sent to start the uh, Civil War. In that pit, right from there now is where they used to sell slaves. It's like all of that really, and, and right at the street and right at the, like, and even until you're you, there. You begin to think about, you begin to think about the people who walk those steps, the same steps you're walking. Yes. Oh, I thought about that because even from where Rosa Parks got on the bus, right down the block is Ebenezer Baptist Church. And right down the block from all on this one street is the state capitol where, you know, where the governor was. I, it never, in all of the stuff that I've seen and read and watched about that time period, I didn't realize how close everything was, that it was all happening all right, right here. And I did think about that as what you were saying, when I walked, when I just walked the streets and I realized that, oh, the boat used to come there and they would take the slaves yeah. from underneath this street. And now it's a water fountain, but down there is where they used to sell, sell my ancestors, yeah. people who look like me. It was very powerful to me, the fact that we were now back in Montgomery, Alabama, doing a show on television created by somebody from Alabama about Alabama and, you know, black people in Alabama. I said, man, I said, you know, a lot, a lot of blood, a lot of tears, a lot of struggle has had to happen on these streets. And look where we are now. Like we are doing this when they say, you know, you do, uh, we stand on the shoulders. Yeah. Like, we are really like, we're not just doing this show just because, oh, it's a TV show and it's a fun story to tell. No, we are doing this show because of you and we're telling the story because of you and we're going to give our all because you gave your all. The least that we can do is give our all right now. And hopefully, you know, we just play our part in this journey because in my mind, the race that I'm running is a thousand times easier than the race that no, no doubt. you've run. You know what I mean? And I can only run this race because you were in this pit and you came from this pit and now we're here. You got on this bus and now we are here. You marched on these streets and now we are here. There's something uh, very touching and inspiring, inspiring to me about that. Look, I'm gonna get you out of here. I know you, you got to run around and do all of these other things, but you've been on some amazing sitcoms and iconic sitcoms and network television is getting harder and harder. Mm -hmm. What are must-haves for any good sitcom to last? Ooh. I mean, I, 
You've been on but, something that have been around for, but, <laughs> for a long yeah. time. Well, here's the thing. I will. Here, here's what I will say. I've, I've been on. I've been on television shows. You know, like the situation comedies is an aspect that I don't really know as much because that's like the you know television shows. Television shows. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, show. I'm, I'm. You know, we use you them interchangeably. Yeah, we you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Sit, no. Sitcom means something. No, we do know situational yeah. comedies. Comedies, right? Yeah. Uh, I think every show needs to have conflict. I think it has needs to have engaging characters that you root for. Uh, I think in every say if you're dealing with a comedy, there needs to be somebody who is the sane one, who is like psych. Right. You know, but he, but even even in, in the Wonder Years, there's always in a scene, there's always somebody who's making rational sense and somebody who's a, a little bit off in the in, in what they're doing. You, you know, the last episode of 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 the Wonder Years, EJ throws a party at, at home. Dean throws a party in the house. And of course, as parents would come home like, what in the world? Are you crazy? What in the world? And the show was way more grounded than a, and a, you know, a, a comedy like like Psych, but he still was doing something ridiculous. And then you have these other characters who are looking at him like he's crazy, and I, th I think that is always a way for the audience to relate instead of because there's somebody who's a voice of reason or has some type of rational sense to them. But I think, uh, you know, I often say I don't really, I. Those are some simple tenets of what is needed to have a good show but it's always like lightning striking in the bottom yeah because i always say if i knew exactly what would make a good television show i'd be way more successful than i am i'd be way more wealthier <laughs> i'd be uh, i would have a some island somewhere and i don't well, <laughs> so look, we, we we hope that the wonder years gets a season two i haven't seen the announcement as it coming do it can you break can you break news what we do uh, i wish i could break news i mean uh you know my phone hasn't rang yet i'm assuming that in the next day or two there, there will be something yeah. i'm expecting i'm expecting us to have the, the pick yeah, I'd, I be, so. I I'd be shocked so. if we didn't you know yeah, it, so hope, hopefully by the time this gets to air then it'll be uh it'll be old news that we got picked up for sure talk about this are there any other shows or anything else that you're working on what do you have to look forward to and where can people follow you on social media uh on social media it's easy at dule hill i keep it very simple it's d-u-l-e-h-i-l-l -L. very easy uh in terms of in terms of what's next I'm getting my daughter off the off the university, and I'm looking forward to starting the next season of The Wonder Years, which I'm trust is happening soon. And then, yeah, that's the only thing that I had that's that's actually solidified. I mean, Wonder Years isn't solidified yet, but you know what I'm saying. And then, uh, and then we'll see, we'll see what's next. I always stay open to, to you know, to to what tomorrow brings. People often ask me, what is a uh, what is your what is the favorite your favorite job you've ever done? I always say, my next one. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna pray for you, brother, because you got a special type of anxiety going on. You got a a young lady going off to Chicago to yep. to grow into being an amazing woman at Northwestern, and then you got a three year old. So you got this whole <laughs> whole special. Type. I will tell you, we got a 16 year old. She just left to go to volleyball practice. She wants to go. Oh, she she plays volleyball. She wants to go to North Carolina to play volleyball. Uh -huh. And then we, and then we got these three year old twins. And what was next for me back then was a vasectomy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I said no more. We see, are good. You see, we but you can good. you can relate though, because I mean oh. you're pretty much right there. You know, sixteen yeah. and three, seventeen and three. Yeah, yeah and this so. is great. The sixteen gives me more anxiety. The seventeen, I don't know, than the three year olds. The three year olds, it's just like you know, fall down, get up. 
these these right. young ladies got a whole different set of problems. Yeah, and they're going, you know, they're, they're right on the verge of stepping into adulthood and going off to becoming women. And it's but social media, dude. If we yeah. had social media, I mean, it would have been we wouldn't be here. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But I probably need to have a one of these days connect your daughter with my daughter because being that she plays volleyball too. Oh yeah. I mean, we'll Kennedy knows. You know, Kennedy's been. She just finished up all the all the club stuff, and her team just won back-to-back -back championships. I think the, I saw the images with it. But anyway, let's close the yeah. show out. Thank oh, you yeah, for yeah, joining yeah, the yeah, Wakari yeah, Sellers yeah, yeah, podcast. Yeah, of course.